Today I've been talking to Sarah Waycamp and among many other things like tornadoes and tornado sirens and hiding under the stairs, she was really interesting in the way that she explained how she separates her love for her kids away from her frustration around parenthood. We talked about her twins and then her other little boy who came along, how she had postpartum depression after both sets of births, and how she really focuses on making herself a priority. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Marie. How are you? Yeah, I'm really great. Um, thank you. Now, I know that you've had a really interesting night. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, so I live right outside of Dallas, Texas with my twin boys, another little boy, my husband and two dogs. And in the springtime here in Texas, uh, we spend a lot of time heeding tornado warnings. So last night, uh, the tornado sirens were going off all night long. Of course, they waited to start until bedtime, like right after everyone was in bed. It was about nine o'clock and the first one went off um, and everyone came running into our room and we went down into our little shelter under the stairs and huddled together and turned on the news on our phones and um, waited it out. And uh, everything was great. And we, we came out, got everyone settled again, and then they went off again. And that's kind of how our night unfolded, was just going up and down the stairs into our tornado shelter. Uh, we were fine. Everything was fine. But we woke up this morning to lots of rain and hail damage and some very, very sleepy kids who normally just pop right out of bed before me, ready to go to school and get ready. And I was dragging them all out of bed, including myself. So I'm quite tired this morning and enjoying my first cup of coffee. And I'm glad to kick off the day chatting with you. Oh, thank you. Well, that just sounds so alien to me. You know, I'm in the UK and we don't get tornadoes. We don't have sirens. We I don't think many of us have shelters under the stairs. So um, good for, good for you, Sarah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I just posted a, a picture on my Instagram story and mentioned um, my crazy night. And uh, yeah, people from Switzerland and Finland and all over were like, what are you talking about, New Zealand? Um, so I may go back on to my stories today and explain a little bit more about living with tornadoes in Texas. <laughs> I'm yeah. so used to it now. I've spent most of my life here, but um, but it, it can be scary. And for kids, it's, you know, it's a lot of managing emotions and they're not sure and they're very scared and you're not sure either. So um, it's exhausting on a physical, emotional, everything level. So you just mentioned your kids. So so describe your current situation. You know, what you know, what do you do for a job? Who are you the mum to? Tell us more about you. Yeah. So like I said, I live outside of Dallas, Texas. I have twin 10-year-old boys and another little five-year-old boy. I live with also my husband, who is a professional voice actor and director. Um, he does all his work from home. I am a mom coach, podcaster, speaker, teacher, and I also work from home. So our home is a, a very, very busy place. And on a practical level from day to day, it's just kind of managing um, where people have to be quiet, <laughs> whether they have to be quiet around mama's office or dad's office. There's a lot of playing outside. We have a great green space um, beside us and trails and a lake. Um, and the kiddos are currently in school, but they'll be out in a few weeks for summer. And then we'll be on our summer schedule and things uh, things shift and change quite a lot when the 
summer comes. Um, we have two dogs that um, are a golden doodle and a St. Birdoodle, super sweet. I post a lot of pictures of them on Instagram. Um, and this is where I've lived uh, most of my life. I, I was born and raised in Texas, but I've also lived in Spain and Turkey and New York and Georgia and a myriad of places. But um, this is where we call home for now. And I, I love what you've just said, because I was um, looking at your website, which we'll, we'll probably talk about later, called parentswho.com. And um, you, it, that website's so full of energy and, and, it, and it feels very bold and honest. And, and, and I think we'll capture some of that in our chat today. And you really show all the things that you did pre-kids, you know, and how your life is, is, is different post-kids. And, and, and that's not, obviously not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it just things shift, don't they? Yeah, I, I remember a long time ago, um, a counselor that I had told me that I had a traumatic entrance into motherhood. And I thought that was just kind of hyperbole. She didn't, she was just going a little too far. And, um, but the more I thought about it and reflected on it, I thought, you know, she's right. We, and this is true for so many moms and parents is you're, my husband and I were living in Turkey. Uh, we finished our contract teaching there. And then we traveled around Europe for a hundred days and we had no jobs. We had no kids. We had no mortgage. We had not, we were just doing what we wanted to do, making our own decisions without much input from anybody else. And um, then we moved back stateside. We ended up both having jobs. I got pregnant with twins. We had a house, we had insurance, you know, retirement. And it was just, it was very jarring. And I don't think that um, I gave myself enough credit for just how big of a transition that was. Um, it's it's really hard. Yeah. And, um, and I was saying to you before we, we hit record that I've got two friends who both had twins and, you know, one of them in particular you know, I think it's fair to say she didn't really know what hit her, you know, <laughs> and had already had one, one child before that. But, um, and part, you know, what, what this podcast series is about is, is people sharing their stories so that other people might feel that they're not alone and that they're not the only ones who are feeling the way they are. So could you tell me, you know, you've had this kind of, this kind of jarring kind of un maybe unexpected or, 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 or certainly your life changed very quickly when you became pregnant with, with twins. So what was your experience once they'd been born as a, as a mother? Yeah, um, if I'm being completely honest, which I like to be, because I, I completely agree with you. I think it's very validating to hear other people's stories and to hear yourself in that and know like it's not just me. I think there was a lot of times I felt like I'm doing something wrong or I'm crazy or it's, it can be a very isolating, lonely place. So um, to be completely honest, I, when my husband and I decided to have kids, I only have one ovary. So I thought it would take a long time. It happened immediately. It was two kids. Um, and so it was, um, it was very shocking and it was a very hard transition. And I think one of the hardest parts about it well, number one, I had postpartum depression. Um, I didn't expect that. Nobody does. Um, and it took a while. You know, after you have the baby, the doctor doesn't see you in the States anyways for six weeks. And so the babies were getting appointments and they were getting checkups and they were getting weighed and they were being asked about, but nobody was really asking about me and how I was doing. And so I kind of had to figure out for myself just by Googling um, that I had postpartum depression and anxiety 
And I went to my doctor and, and told her my concerns and she started uh, medication for me. And that helped a lot. But then that was kind of like throwing somebody like a life vest when they're yeah. drowning. So you can kind of, you can kind of float with that, but I still had to figure out how to swim to shore. And so the work of that was um, trying to figure out how to do this whole motherhood thing in the midst of lots of opinions from other people, lots of shoulds feeling like I should, you know, sign up for this play group. I should get the kids in swim lessons at six months old. I should, um, you know, be taking them to church. I should just, the list went on and on and on. And, um, and, and I think another thing that was really hard for me is nobody was encouraging me to trust my intuition. So from mm -hmm. like the moment I got pregnant, it was doctor's appointments and what doctors thought and what, um, you know, my in-laws thought or a book thought or the pediatrician mm -hmm. thought, I can't remember a time going to someone and them saying, you know, Sarah, you, you can probably trust your intuition on that. Like, what does your gut tell you? And yeah. that would have been super helpful because it would have started a process of me learning to trust myself and yeah. feeling like I could do that and had permission and ability to do that. And, um, that wasn't given to me. So I struggled for a good two years, quite honestly. Um, my husband and I got to a place where we, we became separated because our marriage mm -hmm. had not been a priority at all. Um, uh -huh. We were in counseling together. I was miserable. I was crying in the closet every day. Um, I just didn't, and I didn't know what to do. I, I I felt completely lost and extremely lonely. Yeah, I could, you know, while I'm listening to you, I'm thinking that uh, friends, family, uh, a whole bunch of people become very solutions-based. and. And, and me too. I've spent years thinking that I'm the fixer and then, you know, only the last sort of 10 years or so realize that I'm not, you know, but of course we don't, we don't often want people to fix us and throw solutions. We, we just want people to listen, don't we? Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And I, I think that one of the things that I learned is that often, well, number one, what works for someone else will not necessarily work for mm. me. And so when I work with my one-on-one -on -one clients, um, what I try to do more than anything is to hold space, is to hold space for those awkward, hard feelings and those doubts and those uncertainties. Because a lot of times I think when I was experiencing something um, stressful, my mom especially, and out of love, of course, but she wanted to fix it because she didn't want me to hurt and she didn't, yeah. she couldn't sit in that hurt with me. And she couldn't sit in that stress with me because it stressed her out and yeah. she didn't want to feel that either. And neither did anyone around me. They wanted it fixed. They wanted me fixed so that they didn't have to experience that feeling either. And I think a lot of times that's what the reason behind why we're trying to make solutions for people is we don't want to feel that we don't want to, we can't sit in that space with them. And so that's one of the things that I try most to do when I talk to my moms is to hold space, to just be there because oftentimes they can come to the solution themselves. What they really need is exactly what you said. It's just to be heard and to be validated that what they're feeling is normal, not crazy. And, um, and that they can figure it out and they can get to the other side of it. Yeah, um, I I have a um, I I have a sort of a, a a teacher. I'm on a I'm on a program with him and Jamie Smart, and he he very wisely recently said, "People don't want to be fixed. It's about being unfixed." And I thought, yes, it's about being unfixed. Yes. So yes, um, exactly. 
So you uh, and your husband separated, but you were having counselling together. And and I know that another little boy came along. So so what was the rest of your story with, with being a mother? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because um, sometimes people ask about my darkest moment or, I'm, or my rock bottom. And I say, which one? <laughs> because uh, <laughs> there's a couple. Um, and as you noted, yeah, things got all better. And, um, and then we decided to have another child. And after having him and moving and having some job changes, um, everything got shook up again. And that was kind of the moment um, that I realized that I had to do more than self-care. And so another thing that I talk about a lot is self-care, you know, downward dog, bath bombs, meditation, all that stuff can only take you so far. And after you get to the end of that being helpful, Sometimes you look around and go, okay, well, what now? Like how, yeah. it, it was, it was good for a couple of years. And um, then I had to do more work and that work was the deeper work, the work around giving myself permission, the work around, you know, getting rid of shoulds. And after I was, um, after I had my, my third son, I, I did, I fell back into a very dark place. Um, I was constantly stressed out this time. I was yelling a lot more. Um, and I remember the moment that, I had my youngest, he was three months old on the changing table and I just yelled like not really at him, but just kind of, ah, and I thought this is, this has to change. This is not okay. Um, and it just, I just felt like I was failing constantly. Um, and it, it took actually throwing my back out and having the paramedics have to come and pull me out of my minivan in my driveway um, and get me inside. And I was, I was, <laughs> that was right before Thanksgiving and we were hosting all of our family. Um, before I actually had the, that was the wake up call I needed that I I had to make some more deep rooted, sustainable changes. And that's when things turned around in a, in a very sustainable, meaningful, intentional way that I'm able to maintain on a day-to-day basis. I, I love that. And I'm really looking forward to hearing about those. And uh, because because what you're talking about is is those sticky plaster kind of solutions, aren't they? You know, and and we all we all have them. You know, whether yes. it be a glass of wine or to make us feel better, or or, or going out for a run or whatever, we have things that that we can feel better. But it's often a short term thing. So so I just wanted to ask you, what when you so you had your twin boys then. Then your youngest son came along and, and that felt really challenging in the first few months. Was there, was there more, even more layers of kind of self-criticism there that you'd, that you'd had this postnatal depression the first time round and that you were back there again? You know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of layers and layers of overthinking and overanalysis and criticism. Oh yeah, for sure. 100%. And speaking for a second to any of your twin moms, um, you know, part of me thought, well, I, I should be doing so much better at this because it's only one kid, right? Like I did mm. two, this is just one. And I kept just saying to myself, it's just one, like you did two, you should be, you should have this figured out by now. Like what is wrong with you? And what I failed to realize and at the time, because I was exhausted, um, is you still have those two. <laughs> like they didn't exactly. go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, they're they're still here and they still need your love and support and attention. Um, and then also, you know, our youngest had 
so many ear infections and the the twins never had ear infections. And so I didn't know what to look for. I didn't know what was happening. So it was one of those moments um, that I'm, I'm sure your parents can relate to as well, where you, you know, take the kid to the doctor finally after a week and they're like, oh, they have a double ear infection. And I just felt horrible. Like, how could I not have known that he's been suffering for a week? Um, you know, just feeling like a terrible mom, um, feeling like I was failing not only this child, but the other two kids as well. Um, and then again, ignoring my marriage because it's very hard to prioritize anything above a baby in that newborn stage. So yeah, I was beating myself up a lot. And most of it came from the fact that I felt like I should already know how to do this and it should be easier because I had two already. Um, just those shoulds, those shoulds are just, are so toxic. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, because those, the two boys, the twins, they've got different demands. They can vocalize them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Say my ear hurts. Something's wrong. Um, and the little ones can't. And he actually also ended up having um, a dairy allergy. So I was breastfeeding and I didn't know that. That took us like a full month to figure out. Um, I stopped dairy and then he was all better. Um so I always tell I always tell my moms now when their little ones crying, check ears and maybe check dairy allergy, um, because those are two things that I just didn't have any knowledge of. Yeah, yeah. So I'd really love to talk to you about how you did transition through those dark times, and you talked about going much deeper into your own, giving yourself permission to be you. And I just wanted to say that I was reading on your website and I really loved the sentence, how do, or the question, how do I maintain my personhood in the midst of parenthood? And then you talk about raising parents because it's not just about raising kids. So tell me more about that. Yeah. So maintaining your personhood in the midst of parenthood is incredibly important because you're a person, you're not just a parent. Um, but it's it's like, how do you get there? How do you get to a place where where you can do that? And the the biggest turning point for me in this was separating the love that I have for my boys and my kids from my frustrations around parenthood. And mm. so I remember when I was seeing a therapist during this time, um, she said she watched me kind of hedge around talking about anything negative about my kids. Anytime it would come to anything negative about motherhood or my kids, she would see me kind of physically sit back, kind of pull back from the conversation, not really want to say anything. And she used this technique with me um, where you imagine your kids in a safe bubble and you put all your love for them there, all your gratitude for them, every good feeling that you have about them inside that bubble with them. And then you just kind of float it off to the side a little bit where they're protected, they're safe, nothing can happen to them. Now that they're over there, you can just let loose and let fly all your frustrations, all your anger, all of the feelings you would deem negative around parenthood or motherhood. And once I was able to do that, once I was able to put them in a safe place and realize and feel like and trust that I wasn't going to hurt them by talking negatively about parenthood, that's when I was able to finally start processing this stuff and finding a way out of it. Because before I wasn't giving myself permission to feel any of these negative feelings. I thought it made me a bad mom. Um, and so I encourage any parent who is struggling with this, who has that whole, you know, oh, they're driving me crazy, but I love them, you know, oh, I want to run away, but I would never do that. Um, 
to, to try this technique, to try imagining your kids in a safe place, put them over here and then really let yourself feel these negative feelings. Um, that's how you start the process. And that's how I started the process of being able to find my personhood again and figure out what I wanted and what I felt. Yeah, it's really interesting because what I'm hearing is not being afraid of our feelings you know, when we're feeling yeah. overwhelmed or, you know, and those moments when we're overwrought, overwhelmed, we're feeling um, a failed mother, whatever it is we're feeling, knowing that it's nothing to do with our children, mm-hmm. it's nothing to do with them. Absolutely. Yes. It's, it's not, it's not them and it doesn't change your love for them. Um, no. I, I'm never questioning my clients love for their kids when they're telling me that they just, want to run away or they just cannot stand to hear the screaming one more minute or that they're, you know, hiding in the closet. Um, that to me says you're human. Like you deserve to experience sadness and frustration and anger, even if it has to deal to do with your kids. Um, that's completely normal. And as long as you aren't able to lean into those feelings and feel those feelings and process those feelings, it's going to be a continual battle within yourself and, and exhausting to be honest. Um, it's, it's not until I was able to really do that and start processing those feelings that I was able to come out of this really dark space. Yeah, I, you've reminded me. Uh, it's funny that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this story and I, I don't, really don't know how it's going to come across to you or to anybody who's listening. And I hope I could say it um, without there being too much judgment. Um, it was a woman I worked with years and years ago. I was in my early 20s and she had had her first child, her only child, and her husband worked away a lot. And she really didn't feel like um, motherhood came naturally to her. It felt it felt hard. And her husband had been away quite a long time and the, her child hadn't stopped crying for days and nights. And she felt at her wits end, really. And she told me that that one day um, in the end, after not having sleep literally for days, she put her little boy in a cot, you know, with high sides and mm-hmm. she left the house, she just mm-hmm. walked away. And when she told some people at work, people were quite damning of of that story. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really courageous mm-hmm. because in the moment that she'd done it, she'd done what was best for her child and for her. And that mm-hmm. was to keep her child safe and just leave. And she said she left for about an hour. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if it was that long. It certainly wouldn't have been any longer. But when she had that time just to be whatever was going on for her and then go back and and deal again with her baby. And I, I just felt that was incredibly courageous. Yeah. I mean, that's exact like that's the physical manifestation of exactly what I'm talking about. That's it's it's being able to 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 put the children in a safe place, walk away and feel the things that you need to feel, remembering that you are a person who has feelings and you're exhausted and you're stressed and you're allowed to be at your wits end. Um and and it doesn't mean that you're that you're hurting your children at all. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was always an advocate for putting the babies down when they were crying and walking away. And she would tell me, "No child ever died from crying. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. just put them down, walk away, go on the back porch, scream if you need to." My favorite thing is throwing ice at the wall. 
So I will go and get a big pitcher and get um, a whole bunch of ice cubes from the refrigerator and uh, go on the back porch and throw it against the wall. It's so gratifying because it explodes everywhere. You have the sound of it. You don't have to clean it up because it just evaporates. You're not hurting anybody. It's so therapeutic. It's one of my favorite, favorite techniques. But then something must, must happen, I guess, where something clicks for you, an insight happens, you're chucking ice against the wall. This this woman I spoke about for years, I mean, her son's a grown up now and he's perfectly fine. Yes, <laughs> and, of course. Uh, she, you know, so she got to a point where she insightfully knew she, she could go home. Mm -hmm. you know, something shifts, doesn't it? And then we get a sense of peace. Which, exactly. And exactly. that's where I feel the magic is in that moment where we get that insightful sense of, oh, okay, I'm back. Exactly. Exactly. I'll, I'll use the example of, for me, it was a uh, mom guilt. And so I didn't used to talk about the things that I felt guilty about because I felt like that made me a bad mom, like admitting I didn't want to go to every baseball game or admitting that um, I missed my old life pre-kids. Um, these are the things that I couldn't talk about before I was able to kind of separate my love for my kids from my frustrations around motherhood. But once I was able to do that, one of the things I was able to talk about was my mom guilt. And then I was able to start processing it and realizing um, I, I coach my clients that when you feel guilt, guilt is a sign that a rule, whether real or imaginary, has been broken. So in the case of going to my kids' baseball games, when I feel guilty that I don't go to every game, I stop and I ask myself, okay, what rule do you feel like you're breaking? And the rule is, I feel like a good mom goes to every baseball game. And then I can ask myself, well, is that real or imaginary? Mm. That's imaginary. Like I totally made that up. That's not written anywhere. No one is teaching that. That's not a fact. Um, and so then I can start rewriting that. Okay, well, what, do, what is my idea really of what a good mom is? It's being supportive in the games, going to some of them, maybe bringing a snack one time. Um, and that helps me release that guilt in a sustainable way um, and in a way that is very intentional. Um, but I wasn't able to get to any of these bigger ideas again until I was able to really sit with the the pain and the frustration and the anger and the resentment and the sadness and all these other big feelings that I had around being a mom, these really icky feelings that, you know, we really don't want to feel. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I really love the fact that, you know, we all follow these rules and the rules are, are pretty much made up by us. So we yes. are beating ourselves up against the own rules that we've made up in the first place. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. It. And so that's the bad news. But the good news is since we made it up, we can rewrite it. Exactly. Uh, so how do you see your role as a, as a mother now? You know, how would you describe yourself as, as, a, as a woman coping with all these different elements of your life? Yeah, I would say that um, I am much more intentional now about prioritizing myself. Um, and so before, you know, anything that came up with the kids would always take precedent over anything that I was working on in my business, anything I was doing for fun, anything that was coming up with my marriage. And now I see my role as a mother is as an example to my kids of how to prioritize yourself and take care of yourself because we're modeling for them every day, right? What we want them to do as grownups. And we 
in the States anyways, only have them here for about 18 years before they leave the house. Um, And so when a situation comes up where, you know, maybe there's even a sick kid, I'll say, and we have a date night planned um, that we've had on the books, you know, for two weeks, a show we're going to go see or something. Um, What do I want to teach my kids about how I want them to see their role as a parent someday? And I want them to feel like they can prioritize their marriage, even if that means getting a babysitter and having a kid with a kind of runny nose, feeling kind of snotty at home, um, that they deserve that, that they're that they're worthy of that, that they can prioritize their marriage sometimes over their kids. And so when I want to kind of stop back and um, go back into that role that I used to be in as a mom of being there for everything and not prioritizing myself. I just remind myself, what do you want to teach your kids? What do you want to teach them about how they value themselves as an adult and as a person later in life? And then whatever the answer to that is, is, is what I try to do and implement myself in the moment. I love that. So, so what would be your message then, Sarah? So, you know, if anybody's listening to you and resonating with what you're saying, what would be your message to them? I would say, um, number one, like we said back at the very beginning of the conversation, that you are not something to be fixed, that Mm -hmm. you do not have to um, change who you are. Um, You're wonderful the way you are, but you are worthy of being happy and being a priority. And it does take a little bit of work to get to that place and to value yourself in that way and prioritize yourself in that way, but you absolutely can do it. If I can do it, um, (laughs) you can definitely do it. And I would encourage you to seek out the resources that resonate with you and the stories that resonate with you and find support in that. And the things that don't to just let them go. If it doesn't work for you, it's not working for you. It doesn't resonate with you. You kind of sit with it in your gut and you're like, "Mm, that doesn't feel right for me or my family to feel like you absolutely have permission to just ignore that and and let that go. I love that. So Sarah, as we close now, um, I just wanted to ask you, and saying this, I'm going to put all the information in the show notes, but you know, how can people find out more about you? How can they get in contact with you? They can go uh, to Instagram at Sarah Waycamp is where I am. I'm always in stories every day, posting behind the scenes of our life here in Texas. Today will be tornadoes (laughs) Um, and resources and mini trainings and stuff there. And you can also find me at my website, parentswho.com or email me Sarah at sarahwaycamp.com. Lovely. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I I hope you get some sleep. Thank (laughs) you, Marie. I appreciate that. Hopefully it will be a lot uh, less dramatic evening here in Texas. Um, It was wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me on and thank you for doing what you're doing. I know it's helping lots of parents all over the world. So thank you so much. Thanks, Sarah. You've been listening to Precarious Parenting by Realization Works. Subscribe to realizationworks.com to access more resources including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.